The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This morning, um, the topic that is on my mind has to do with a uh, philosophical argument, actually. The problem of evil in the world is something that is used by those who consider themselves to be atheists uh, to attack the fact of the existence of God. And I'm, I, I'm, I really need your prayers this morning because I'm not going to be able in an hour to, um, to deal completely with this issue, and I'm going to approach it from a biblical standpoint. Now, I recognize that there are those in the world that do not accept the Bible as authority. And, and so uh, there's a whole area of, of Christianity, and uh, I don't know if you'd call it theology, but it's called apologetics. And it comes from the Greek word apologia, which simply means to make a defense. It doesn't mean apologizing for Christianity. Somebody asked me that one time, said, you mean you're apologizing for Christianity? Well, no, I'm not apologizing for it but I am making an apology, an apologia <laughs> for it in the old sense of the term, and that is the idea that I'm trying to defend the faith not from the scriptures, but from outside the scriptures. Now, there is an inherent problem with that that we have to deal with up front. And, and, and one, one of the reasons you don't, you know, when I come to the pulpit, Brother Buddy gets up here, he doesn't say turn to Plato's first work and let's talk about Plato and Aristotle, and or let's go to uh, let's go talk about Albert Camus and his absurdity argument about uh, life and so forth. Uh, you know, those are things that it's it's we should we should know about them. It's it's okay to know about them. I put it that way. Um, if you're going to make a defense of the faith to someone who is not already grounded in the faith, then then it's very possible you need to go outside the, the Bible, look at archaeology, history, some philosophy, that sort of thing. It's fine to do that. That's, that's, and I, I've actually had a burden to try to go into that direction sometime. Uh, I've tried to do some studies lately. C.S. Lewis was a great apologist for the Christian faith. His, his book, Mere Christianity, sometimes you get a chance, read that book. Because C.S. Lewis wasn't just a... Uh, an author of fiction, some of his, the best books I've ever read are the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, go read them sometime. They're awesome. I love them. Uh, uh, an allegory, if you will, for Christianity. But C.S. Lewis wasn't just a great theologian and a great writer. He was an apologist for the Christian faith. And, and he was a philosopher in many ways. Uh, he came up with some wonderful philosophical arguments in favor of Christianity. But again, I say to you, I'm not here to preach philosophy this morning. But I do want to deal with one thing, one question that the atheist always goes back to, almost always, in his attack on the existence of God. And that's this. It's the problem of evil in the world. <clears throat> now, here's what the atheist says. If God exists and God is omnipotent, that is, he has all power, and he is omniscient, that is, he has all knowledge, and he is omnibenevolent, that is, he is all good, then why does evil also exist? In other words, 
Couldn't God have either created a world without evil or couldn't God intervene and prevent the evil that occurs in this world? Now, that's the philosophical argument that most atheists go back to in order to, uh, uh, in order to attack the very existence of God. And as I said, I can't deal with this argument in the time I've got this morning. It would take hours of, 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 of if not longer, of, of talking about it and, and talking about things apart from just the scriptures. And, and, and I'm not going to, ch- if you're here this morning and you're atheist, okay, I'm not going to change your mind in this 45 minutes, most likely. Um, and I'm not here to try to, uh, to try to make the great philosophical defense of the faith. If you're, I will say this much, if you're bought into this argument, okay, then there are some basic assumptions about God and his relationship to evil that you make in order to uphold that argument. So this morning, I'm not going to try to tear down that argument and convince you that you're wrong and convince you that that God indeed does exist. There is faith that is imparted in the new birth that has to exist in the first place for you to believe that God exists anyway, okay? But but what I do want to do, uh, and and let me me also say this, I believe there are children of God who have forsaken the faith— who, who consider themselves to be atheists, I believe there are children of God who have fallen away from the belief in God. I know many that have fallen away from maybe our particular faith, but I'm talking about those that have fallen away completely from any faith in God, either due to some teaching that they've gotten mixed up in or due to uh, uh, the world out there in general, sometimes it's a traumatic event that occurs that shakes up somebody's world. And if you're, let me tell you, if that hadn't happened to you yet, get ready, it may. And that's why it's important to be grounded, rooted and grounded in the faith. There are those out there that I believe are children of God that have fallen into this error. This morning, what I want to try to do is to try to set our understanding straight about the relationship that God has with evil and sin. Maybe, if nothing else, it might alter our thinking about God. It might help us to understand Him a little bit better. So, let, let, me, let me just start this out by saying this, that I believe there, in, in, in philosophical terms, and maybe even in religious terms, uh, I, I'm, I may use the terms a little bit interchangeably this morning, but you know I'm primarily talking about from a religious standpoint, there are basically two types of evil. There is, there is moral evil, which we would call sin, okay? And then there's natural evil, which we might call calamities, the hurricanes, the, 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 the earthquakes, and other what we call natural disasters, what sometimes are erroneously called acts of God. You ever heard that? <laughs> but you and I both know that some of those, that, that's not always the case. But there's two types of evil, moral evil, and natural evil, primarily. I, I, again, I'm, there's, a lot of other, there's a lot more talk we could do about this, but let's just assume for this, this uh, message this morning there's two types of evil. The moral evil that we're talking about is the sin that we see around us and that we see within us. It involves the willful actions of human beings. It encompasses the Ten Commandments. 
Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, murder, rape, robbery, all of those things are, are, are concerned, are, are the evil, uh, that type of evil. And now, just to make sure you understand that I'm not taking all this outside of the scripture, I want you to turn with me to a few scriptures that will kind of show, I want to show you the different types. Uh, uh, we're going to turn to one scripture uh, to, to talk about moral evil. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And... Uh, and you know the story here, this is the flood, this is the beginning of the, uh, of the Genesis story of the flood here, where it says that men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and you know that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, they went in and had children, and, and, and we were told a whole bunch of things about the, the, uh, uh, the growth of the population during that time. And in, the, in verse 5, it says, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There's that word evil, okay? It comes, and by the way, uh, the Hebrew word that's usually translated evil is the Hebrew word ra, R-A as we would look at it. The Hebrew word ra. And, and it's interesting that it says in verse 5, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. That's the same Hebrew word, okay? And this here is the moral evil, the sin that we're talking about, okay? It, it is uh, the, the, the wickedness of man, the evil of man was, was, was rampant upon the earth. And this has to do with his willful, sinful actions. Now, there's also natural evil, okay? There's natural evil. And, and what I'm referring to there is the fact of all these hurricanes, just bad things that happen in the world. A tree falls on somebody's house and kills somebody. Uh, uh, an earthquake opens up at your feet and your, and your family is, is destroyed. The hurricane comes and destroys your home. Is, there, is that sort of evil mentioned in the Word of God? Well, in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 7, and this is going to be one of our problem verses that I hope to deal with before this message is over. Uh, I call it a problem verse because it's a problem for us. It's not a problem for God. <laughs> it's not a problem with the verse itself. But notice in Isaiah chapter 45, uh, God is beginning to talk to us about his, his, uh, his authority, His sovereignty. And how great a God he is. And, in, and, and, and I'll let you in on a little secret. The context here is about, uh, about the, uh, uh, the punishment uh, that God reserves for those who don't do right and the blessings that God gives to those who do right. And notice in verse 7, he says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, the, 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 the word evil there is, is primarily referring to the natural disasters that occur. And, and by the way, uh, you say, does God use those natural disasters sometimes? The answer is yes, he does sometimes, <laughs> but not all the time. And that's the problem we have. We, one of the things that I must hasten to say this morning, and you know this, but I want to make sure we are reminded of this, is we do not believe in the absolute predestination of all things. God did not predestinate the hurricanes to hit Louisiana two times in the last month. God did not predestinate that. Does God ever use a hurricane or a tornado, a whirlwind, or some other natural disaster in the way of 
chastening his people or punishing the wicked? Yes, he does. We see that in the Word of God. There are times when he does. The danger we have is that we try to ascribe to God, uh, we try to blame God for all those things. I heard Brother Sonny Pyle say one time that the problem with the absoluter is that the absoluter believes that God deals with all of the people all of the time like he dealt with some of the people some of the time. <laughs> You've got to rightly divide the word of God. But right here, this evil that he's talking about is not the evil wickedness of men. Because we'll see, we, we know from the word of God that, that he cannot touch sin. He is not playing around with sin, and he does not create that kind of evil. But the evil he's talking about here is the kinds of natural disasters and things that occur in the world that are bad. Okay, so let's talk about this, okay? In order to understand God's relationship to evil in this world of all kinds, including sin and natural disasters, we must go all the way back to the beginning. We've got to go back to Genesis chapter 1. And I want you to notice as we go back there that there are a couple of terms that are being used here quite a bit in chapter 1. It says in chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And thus begins the great creation story. And as we continue to read it, every day at the end of each of the creation days, God says that what he had done was what? Good, right? Good. And then at the end of the sixth day, <clears throat> after he's created man, he, he refers to what he's done in the whole creation as very good. Now, I... Remember, we're talking about God's relationship to evil in this world. God didn't say it's good and bad. He didn't say over here's some very good stuff and over here's some very bad stuff. Did you know that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't bad either. <laughs> there wasn't anything bad or evil about that tree. It was a good tree. It contained knowledge of good and evil, but it did not have anything evil about it. And I wanted to just read to you what the word, the Hebrew word for good means. And that, that word is tov, T-O-V, we would transliterate it. The Hebrew word is tov. And, and I'm just going to, I just, I want to read this to you. I want you to listen to this. This is Strong's exhaustive concordance of the, of, of the Bible. And this is St Strong's definition. Good as an adjective, in other words, when this word, term is used as an adjective, it's used as good in the widest sense. Likewise, as a noun, uh, it's good, a good or good thing, a good man or a good woman, the good, the goods or good things, good men or women, singular or plural, in other words, also used as an adverb. Its, its, its definition is beautiful, best, better, bountiful, cheerful, at ease. It can, be, it can denote fair as a word. It can denote favor or to be fine or to be glad or to be good. Um, and, and, and it's interesting in the way they define it 
they use every superlative that, that's known. So it can be good, it can be, um, it can be fine, uh, goodlier, goodliest, goodly, goodness, goodnesses. <laughs> it can be gracious, graciously, joyful, kindly, kindness, loving, most, or most pleasant, pleasing, pleasure, precious, prosperity, wealth, welfare, or to be well favored. I don't think it left anything out, did it? I don't see any exceptions here. It was good, okay? Now, here's the other thing that I like about going back and doing a little word study on these Hebrew and Greek words. When, when, when he says it was very good, that's, a, that's the word tov, that word for, that I just defined for you there, plus another word, uh, ma'od. It's, uh, it's still used today in Hebrew, by the way. Uh, sometimes you, somebody will ask you how you're doing in Hebrew, and your answer will be tov ma'od. I'm very good, very well. Tov ma'od. And the word ma'od means, uh, I like this, the word, and that's the word we, there's translated here as very. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not improving, I'm not trying to improve on the King James translation. You can't get better than very good, okay? But think about this connotation that, that the word very carries. With vehemence, vehemently, or uh, diligently exceedingly you know you ever i've been over to uh ain't lorraine's and some of you know that i like to eat i know it's not obvious but some of you know that i like to eat and ain't lorraine fixes those sweet potato uh, sweet potatoes that are uh sweeter sweet potatoes than they are naturally i just put it that way and i love those and and there'll be times when i've eaten those and i've told her this how was it? She'll say, and I'll, I'll, you know, sometimes you say, eh, they were good, they were good, you know, good. You know, that doesn't, that's not what I usually say, though, to that. What I usually say to that is, man, they were good, very good. I mean, you know, I'm vehemently assured that they are good. I'm putting my power into it, you know. If I'm eating some, you know, if I'm eating broccoli, and I'm wanting to be nice, and, and it's, it's good. I, I have to admit, I, it's good. But listen, you get that lemon dessert, oh, oh it's good. You know, it's really good. And it's so, so that's the idea here is that God is saying through all of his creation, this is good. It, it doesn't get any better, but it did get better because it's very good. God looked around, and he wasn't just, yeah, okay, it looks good. I like it. It's okay. It was like, man, this is very good. I can just see the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, gathering together in whatever way they have their perfect fellowship and looking at one another, looking at their creation, and looking back at one another and saying, boy, that's very good. And I can almost see them clapping each other on the back. Just, you know, can't you just see that? Oh, this is awesome. This is great. Well, see, that's what God created. So to understand God's relationship with evil in this world, the first thing we need to understand is that God did not create this world with evil in it. God created this world not just good, but very good. And to demonstrate that, he tells us some things about it. On the fifth and sixth days, look at verse 20 of Genesis chapter 1. 
God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. I, Seth and I like to watch that, some of those David Attenborough documentaries, Blue Planet and others. Like I've been watching Blue Planet. Uh, oh, I actually watched it two or three times. And there, it is unreal, especially that South Pacific uh, episode where it shows the vastness of the Pacific Ocean and you'll be watching that and right in the middle of it some humpback whale will break the waters open and it'll uh, it's, it's, its spout will, will blow out the air and the water and it's just majestic and beautiful and, and can you imagine on the day of creation how wonderful those kinds of things would have been to see he's saying that's what he's doing here and he looked out and God said it's good and God told them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let fowl multiply on the earth. And that's the fifth day. <clears throat> Don't see any problems here, do you? God didn't say, uh, go out and kill one another in order to eat and live and grow. He said, y'all, be fruitful and multiply. To my, this is before man now. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters. There's room for everybody. It's good, you see. And then in, in verse 24, he said, God said, let the earth, this is on the sixth day now, let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And then he goes on to make man. And by the way, he says, let us make man in our image. Did you understand the Trinity's being taught us from the very beginning book of the Bible, from the opening credits, from the opening credits, we're being taught that God is, a, is, is one God manifest in three persons. Now I want you to look at something else here. See, here's what I want you to understand. There was perfect harmony in the garden. Man is created here on the heels of all these other created beings all these other living things. And yet there was perfect harmony with the animal world, for example. Skip over to <clears throat> chapter 2 and look down at verse 18. Look what happened here. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. So he's looking out and saying, Man needs a partner. But notice what he did. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Now this is, by the way, not a conflict. This is an elaboration on the other. Um, this is God referring back to what he'd already done. But notice what he did. He brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And notice what it doesn't say. The Trinity, the Godhead, didn't look to each other and say, Okay, let's build Adam a little cage over here where these tigers, when they come by, won't slash him with their claws. Let's, let's make sure we put him up in a tree over here where, where the elephants won't trample him. Let's make sure we put him in a, in a shark cage down in the water so that the sharks won't eat him up. You notice what? You notice, you know why he didn't say that? Because he didn't have to. 
There was perfect harmony. Notice back, I, I skipped this. I should have read it in Genesis 1 back in verse, uh, uh, verse 26. It said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Not in the last two or three decades, probably before that, but now that we have television and these documentaries, we're able to really delve into the foolishness of men, okay? So over the last two or three decades, there have been, at different times, there have been men and I think one woman who decided that they could live with, with the predators of nature. Uh, there was a man called, and I think the documentary about him was called Grizzly Man, and he had decided that he could go up into the wilds of Alaska and he could live among those ravenous, carnivorous bears, big brown grizzly bear, big brown bears and grizzly bears and all these kinds of bears that are, that are by nature meat eaters. And by the way, you know that in nature we are meat, right? <laughs> so uh, by nature, these are carnivorous uh, man-eaters potentially if we put ourselves in the in the way of them and this man decided I can they, they just are misunderstood I just need to go out and and be with them and people they're not they're not all that bad well I don't have to tell you how the story ended and I think you probably know already but let me just say that it's a horrible I, I've heard parts of the of the audio they actually got on audio right before he was to be evacuated out of there where a bear comes around and guess what this meat-eating bear ate him now, I get the desire to be around those magnificent creatures. I would love nothing better than to go up during the salmon run and get up there in, in, in Alaska and, and wade out into those rivers and, and go up and hug one of those bears that's trying to slap the salmon out of the, out of the water. But the reason I don't do that is because I'm afraid I would probably begin to look like a salmon to that bear. And the next thing you know, I would be a, a, a bear meal, you see, because that's not the way we can do it today. But in Adam's day, when the grizzly bear came by, it's very possible that as he was viewing this magnificent creature... As God brought him before him, as he was viewing this magnificent creature, preparing to name this thing, that he could reach out and scratch his ear or the back of his head. Can you imagine the glory of that? We got this little kitten now. Brother Bob, don't think less of me. <clears throat> we got this little kitten now that's in the house. And, and the kitten is taken up with me for some reason. I don't know why he's taken up with me. And when he was little, especially, he'd get up on my chest and he'd go to sleep and he'd just, you know, he's so sweet, you know, that little kitten. And he's growing up a little bit now. This kitten's so sweet, you know. But let me remind you something about a cat. A cat is a predator. A cat has claws, okay? And so this little sweet cat even, you know, the cat's not going to eat me up. You know, I, I can take care of that cat. But this little sweet, precious cat will be laying there on my chest sometimes, you know, and I think he's asleep, and suddenly you can see some of the scratches on my hand, and ah, he starts scratching my hand and biting on me and all this. He's a predator, you see. He's a predator. Now, I'm sure the cats in Adam's day, uh, all they wanted to do was purr and crawl around on him. I don't know exactly what, you know, they did, but I'll tell you this, in Adam's day, he could do that with a tiger. 
He could do that with a lion. He could have that kind of relationship with them. What a glorious thing. See, there was perfect harmony in that day with the animal world. There was perfect harmony in the creation, in the beginning of the creation, with the natural world. With the natural world. Um, look in, in chapter 2 again of Genesis in verse, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. I always, I always think about Brother Oliver when I think about the Garden of Eden. But I've seen Brother Oliver so many hours spent and days spent out uh, in that garden, tilling that ground, uh, preparing that ground, having to, having to put the seed in, having to grow. You know, you know what happened in the Garden of Eden? God tilled the ground. God planted the seed. God made it all happen for Adam's sake. You know how it is once you plant a garden, you can't leave it. Because the thistles and the thorns grow up. But guess what? Until Adam's fall, there were no thistles and no thorns. Adam had the perfect garden, the perfect place there. He was in, in perfect harmony. You know, <laughs> verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Where in the world is Adam going to get his food? And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Now I'm going to stop there. You know there's more to it. But listen to this. Adam didn't have to build a spear or a bow and arrow and go out and chase a gazelle down or go hunt a deer down and then kill it and, 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 uh, uh, and, and dress it and cure it and cook it. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to eat. There was no death at this point in, 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 in Adam's life. Adam had all of the trees. Can you imagine? <laughs> I've always been fascinated by orange trees. You know, you go down to Florida and you used to, See those orange groves? We can't grow those around here, but Adam could. I, mean, I don't know if they were exactly the same then as they are now, but let me tell you, can you imagine walking out your back door and saying, I think I'll eat some oranges for lunch, and then for supper I'm going to eat some apples. You know, we always have trouble growing apple trees. Daddy always tried to have an orchard, never could get it to grow right. You know, he always struggled with that. But every tree, every tree, he was able to get something to eat and nourish himself off of it. He was in perfect harmony with the natural world. You know what Adam didn't have to worry about doing? He didn't have to worry about walking around barefoot. I mean, if y'all, you know, when I was younger, my, my feet were m much tougher, but I hadn't gone barefoot in, you know, decades, I guess. <clears throat> and not too long ago, I, was, I went outside to get something, and I realized I was getting out of my truck. My truck was parked across the gravel driveway. So I thought, well, I'll just walk across the grass. And it was, you know, just be a little bit of, little bit of gravel to go across because y'all would, would laugh if you saw me ooh, 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 getting around like that. Well, I got, out in the, I got out in the beautiful, lush, centipede grass that we have in our yard. You know, that stuff, it feels so soft and so nice, and it is great till you get into a patch of thistles, or stickers, I call them. 
You get out there, apparently those things are invading our part of the country. And I looked like a man walking on hot coals, I'm sure, because I was, oh, 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 you know, next time I got back, my feet were hurting so bad. Adam didn't have to worry about that. Adam didn't have to worry. He could walk anywhere. He, was, he didn't have any clothes. He certainly didn't have any shoes. He had no need for them. He could go where he wanted to go. He didn't have to go out and say, Eve, I've, I've got to go plow this garden. Those weeds are coming up. No. He could just go out there to the okra patch, and there there's the beautiful, most beautiful okra you've ever seen. He could go out to the pea patch, and I don't know if deers ate, deer ate peas back then. I bet they didn't because it, it would have been kind of frustrating, or maybe they just were enough peas to go around, you know. Whatever it was, he had all he could ever want. He was in perfect harmony with the natural world. And more importantly than that, and oh my goodness, we're not going to have time to finish. <laughs> More importantly than that, he was in perfect harmony with the spiritual world. Now listen, uh, remember what I read to you in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man okay, and put him in the garden. You know what that implies? That implies that God was speaking and dealing with Adam face to face. Look at verse 18. It's not good that the man should be alone, I'll make him a help meet for him. And he formed all these beasts, uh, he took these beasts of the field that he had formed and he brought them before Adam. It's as if God and Adam were friends. You know, sometimes today we tend to be too friendly with God, I'm afraid. It's like, it's like somewhere, you, some places you hear him preach, it's like he's your buddy that, that lives off somewhere. You know, God's not our buddy that lives off somewhere. He's our God that provides for us, you see. There's a big difference. Now, now, we have a close relationship with him, but it's different than the relationship Adam had with him. Adam and God could talk face to face. On, even over in Genesis, the third chapter, after Adam had eaten of the fruit, it says in verse 8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. You know why they hid themselves? Because if they hadn't, they would have been face to face with God. Because God, God was talking to him. God was dealing with him. As I said, they were, he was still God. Don't get me wrong. I'm not elevating Adam to the level of God. But there was, this, there was nothing between them in the garden. They were in perfect harmony with the spiritual world. world. Fast forward to Exodus chapter 33. You don't have to turn there, but sometime go read it. Moses said, God, I want to see you in your glory. And you know what God told him? He said, he said that... Uh, there's, he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Now, you know what he did? He carved out a cleft in the rock and hid him there as his front side passed by, and he allowed him to see his hinder parts, his backside. He got to see the backside of God's glory. And even that was nearly too much for him. His face shone with, with a glory that he had to cover it up because the people that he went down to talk to, the, the, the Israelites, couldn't stand to look at him. He was, so, he was so glorified in that sense. But in that day, there was perfect harmony with the spiritual world. See, and here's, here's we're going to have to bring this to a close, and hopefully, Lord willing, we'll try to finish this up tonight. But here's, here's the bottom line about Adam. Adam was created in the image of God. Now, that alone tells us that there was something special about Adam that is not so special about us anymore. Adam, Adam had a free 
will. You know, we hear a lot about free will today, right? In fact, most people would say that, oh, man, today has the free will, has the freedom to choose whether he wants to go to heaven, whether he wants to have a relationship with God or not. But, beloved, I, I say to you, on the authority of the Word of God, the only man who ever lived who had freedom, true freedom of the will, was a man named Adam. Adam was told, notice what it said in verse, going back to chapter 2, in verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, if Adam did not have a free will in th at this point in his relationship with God, then that should have read, uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou will not eat of it. <laughs> you won't eat of it because I won't let you, you see. If, if he didn't have a free, free will, God wouldn't have forbid him from doing it. See, here God says to him, you're not going to, I don't want you to eat of this. Adam had a free will at that point. But guess what? We'll talk about this maybe tonight. The fall of Adam brought some changes to this perfect world. The fall of Adam brought some corruption to this perfect world. Adam, as created, would not have been in the image of God had he not had this free will. Isn't that one of the primary characteristics of God? God can choose to do what he wants to do. Now, Adam wasn't all-powerful, but he was free. He had the ability to obey God, and he had the ability to not obey God. But notice what happened. You know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says. Adam chose freely to disobey God. And you know what happened? That free will that Adam had became enslaved to the nature that he brought upon all of his posterity. See, in very real sense, we still have free will. We have the, the freedom to do as our nature demands. You know what Jesus said about those Pharisees? And it's true of us in nature. Ye will not come unto me that ye might have eternal life. You know what that means? Not coming to Jesus is a choice that we freely make. And I'm sorry to say, sometimes I make it on a daily basis. But here's the problem. You say, well, why don't you just come to him then? He says, no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Nobody is going to hell against their will. <laughs> that will is, we're freely headed in that direction. But I'll tell you this, beloved. See, freedom of the will was corrupted in the garden. And man no longer became free to do that which was pleasing to God because he's bound now by the dead nature that Adam brought upon us. It was corrupted. That free will was corrupted at the fall. But guess what? True freedom of the will is restored at the new birth. I'm not saying you have the ability to, get, to make choices to get yourself born again. That's all in the hands of God. In fact, what Adam did is he consigned us, uh, it, without the intervention of God, he consigned us all to hell because the freedom of our will is bound by the nature. We're free to act within our nature. But oh, when Adam sinned, our nature fell. <laughs> and the only nature we have is the carnal nature. 
But praise God, when Jesus came, when Jesus took on him uh, the likeness of Abraham, when he became man, he became flesh and dwelt among us, and he died for us on the cross, through his sacrifice, his children, once they're born again, their freedom of will is restored. And you and I can choose to serve God or we can choose to serve the flesh. Now, that wasn't all of my message this morning, but our time's gone. But let me just say this. The issue that we're dealing with is the problem of evil in the world. Where did evil come from? We've established, I think, this morning that evil did not come from God. There was no natural disasters that Adam had to worry. There weren't any volcanoes in the Garden of Eden. There wasn't any earthquakes. There wasn't any tsunamis. No hurricane came through and devastated the garden and uprooted the trees. Everything was good. And in fact, when Adam came on the scene, there was no sin. There was no sin nature. There was nothing but perfect harmony with God, and God called it very good. So what about evil? Where does it come from? Well, you're going to have to stay tuned. I appreciate your kind attention. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.